outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your guide to the whitetail woods. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light. Go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. This week on the show, we're chatting with Todd Graff of Bowhunting.com about the habits, personality traits, and behaviors of the biggest, oldest bucks he's ever hunted. All right, welcome back to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light and their Camo for Conservation initiative in which every purchase of their whitetail camo products if you pick up their solitude jacket or the origin hoodie or anything like that in the specter camo pattern which is the whitetail pattern a portion of that purchase goes back to and is donated to the national deer association to help them towards their mission of working towards deer and deer hunters good stuff right there so today on the show we are kicking off a brand new series this month of september As deer hunting seasons are kicking off all over the country, we're going to talk to a handful of some of the best deer hunters across the country about the biggest, oldest bucks they've ever hunted. We're diving in to the minds, the personalities, the tendencies, the vulnerabilities of really old bucks. Now, here's the thing about old bucks. They are really cool, but I want to point out the fact that you don't need to chase big old bucks. So, Don't think when you're here in this episode and the next couple that by any means you should feel obligated to chase a deer like this. If you are into shooting the first deer you see, more power to you. If you are a newer hunter and you are just figuring this stuff out, please do not think that you need to chase a five or six year old buck. It is hard just to kill a doe. It is hard just to kill a year and a half old deer. Figure it out. Ease your way into it. Enjoy every step of the process. Don't feel any pressure 
to chase after one of these deer or to do something like what you're hearing about here today. That said, if you are in a place where you are interested in mature deer, these shows are definitely for you. And you can learn a lot even if you're not chasing deer like this. There's a lot to be learned here. But if you appreciate a big old stinky buck the way that I do, there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, there is something special about a buck, a whitetail buck, when they get to that age of you know, five or six or seven or, or older than that in some places, they just become a different creature. Uh, they, they move different. They think different. They, they act in a way that causes all the other deer around them to act differently. And when you're going to hunt them, you have to realize that. You have to realize that this is a different ball game when you're trying to chase those oldest of the deer, that, that top 5% of the age bracket in your neck of the woods. Those deer operate on a different plane. And so this month, we're going to try to dig into, trying to get behind the scenes, try to lift up the covers on what those old bucks' lives are like. And to do that today, we're kicking it off with Mr. Todd Graff. Todd's one of the founders of bowhunting.com, one of the co-hosts of Bowhunt or Die, a terrific YouTube series, and a, a diehard, long-time, super serious whitetail bow hunter from Illinois. Spent a lot of time there in his home state, done a lot of hunting in Wisconsin and around that neck of the woods. He's killed a lot of big old deer. He's chased a whole bunch of these old, gnarly, grizzled, mature bucks. The ones that uh, I know a lot of us lose a lot of sleep over. So Todd's got a lot of experience to bring to the table. He's got some strong perspectives, some interesting ideas, and some great stories. So that is what we get into here today. And then uh, over the next four weeks, we'll have a whole bunch more of that from some other folks too. So before we get into that conversation with Todd, though, I do want to give you a couple quick updates. Number one, one week in November, season two is now live on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. Uh, hopefully you all caught one week in November season one. That was the show that I co-hosted over there. It came out in 2021, I think it was. Maybe it was 21 or 20. I can't keep track. It's all kind of a blur. I'm pretty sure it's 21. But the idea of the show is that it follows myself and four other folks from the Meat Eater Whitetail team as we all hunt across the country in different places on the same seven days during one week in November. And each episode follows one day. So episode one follows our experiences on November 1st. Episode two shows our day on November 2nd, and so on. And so you get to follow along with the whitetail rut across wildly different places with different people hunting in different ways. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting kind of getting that 30,000-foot perspective of of what the rut looks like across the country during that week. And uh, it's a lot of fun too. You know, including myself, there's also Tony Peterson, Spencer Newharth, Clay Newcomb, and Giannis Patelis joined us this year too. So we have a lot of fun. We uh, talk some smack. And we shoot some deer. And episodes one and two are out now. And there is a very exciting hunt from yours truly on there that starts in episode one and ends in episode two. Uh, so highly recommend you check that out. If you heard my story last year during the fall about the Nebraska hunt, that's what you can watch now. So head on over to the Meat Eater YouTube channel to check that out. Hope you enjoy that. Update number two, Rut Fresh Radio is kicking off this week. So hopefully you already heard the first episode, which came out, I believe, yesterday. But every Wednesday during the hunting season, we have a mini-series that comes out called Rut Fresh Radio. 
if you're not familiar, uh, hopefully you are. It's been going on for seven or eight years. But if you're new, what this show is, is it's a short, maybe 30-ish minute episode every Wednesday in which we hear from four or five different hunters across the country in different places every week. And we're asking them, what's the activity been like from a deer hunting perspective? What have you been seeing? What are the deer doing? What are they keying in on? How are they, uh, you know, relating to certain things? How are they adjusting to weather conditions or the moon phase or temperature or whatever might be going on that week in the woods? We are asking them to report back to us and then also predict, you know, what should we expect? over the next seven days. So each week you're going to get updates from different really good deer hunters across the country to hearing about, you know, exactly what they're doing now and what you should be thinking about in the coming days. It's a, it's a super helpful resource I've found at least for myself and hopefully you do too. So that kicks off this week and then every week for the rest of the hunting season on Wednesday. So be sure to, uh, to keep an eye out for that as well. Last update here for you. I've got another one of my Working for Wildlife Tour events coming up here at the end of September. If you are down in the South, this is the event for you. September 23rd, we're going to be in Mississippi in the DeSoto National Forest. Um, This is kind of, I was looking, it's kind of equidistant between like New Orleans and I think Mobile, Alabama, Mobile, Mobile, Mobile. I don't know how you guys say it down there, but it's that city down in Alabama. Um, That's where we're going to be at. I want to see you. I want to shake your hand. I want to take some pictures. I want to tell some stories. And I want to do some good work on the landscape for deer and turkeys and other critters. We're going to be improving some wildlife habitat, a whole bunch of different things we're going to be doing down on that national forest to make it better for critters, to make it better for hunters. And uh, then we're going to have a good time afterwards, catching up, having a little social event, and just enjoying ourselves here at the beginning of hunting season. So please, if you've got a little extra time in the middle of your day on September 23rd, would love to meet you and spend some time. And uh, I really do believe that it's a, a little bit of donation of your time there to volunteer to do some stuff there on the land, but it's going to pay back dividends. I've done four of these now this year and every single one of them, I've had a blast, felt really good coming out of it, made new friends, and it just left me energized uh, moving on from there. So I think that will be a good thing for all of us as we kick off the hunting season here. So September 23rd in Mississippi, head on over to Oh, Google, Google the Working for Wildlife Tour to find the website that will give you all the details for that. That's probably your best bet. And you can register at that website. So please do that. September 23rd. Hope to see you there. And now, with all that out of the way, let's get to our main event today. My conversation with Todd Graff, digging into the nitty gritty of the biggest, oldest bucks he has ever hunted. Hope you guys enjoy All right, here with me now on the line, we've got Todd Graff. Welcome to the show, Todd. Hey, Mark. As always, thanks for having me for sure. I mean, I'm glad we're doing this. We've we've been in touch over the years for a long time, and I'm pretty sure you contributed on one of our Rut Fresh radio episodes at some point along the way, but I don't think we've done a main show. So this has been a long time coming, and uh, I appreciate you making time to do this. Mark, I'm going to be honest with you. I just... I, I'm looking at you. I'm talking, and I just—I mean, I, I remember the first time we met, literally, when you were working for Google. And I mean, I, I, what are we talking about? Is that—is that seriously ten years right now? What, what, how many years was that now? It's—it's it's pushing closer to 
like 13, 14 years. Uh, oh, I, mean, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> we're getting old. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was trying to keep it less than more, but yeah. holy cow, does time fly for sure. It's nuts. But, uh, but somehow we're still here, still doing this, having a good time. So that, that's got to count for something, right? <laughs> hey, we both got smiles on our face. We, we, we know we are weeks. Well, I'm actually five days away because I'll be hunting in New Mexico here on some private land for elk in about four oh, wow. or five days from now. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. Um, yeah. So we, we, we know the best time of the year is right here. So it's coming. Man, it's so true. So opening day in Illinois is October 1st, right? How are you feeling leading into the home state opener? You know, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, you know how we are as whitetail guys. I mean, it's almost like I'm talking and you start feeling like you have anxiety. <laughs> you know, you're starting to think like, oh my gosh, I didn't go to that stand or I didn't do this. But, you know, Justin and I were, were even talking the other day. And you know what? Sometimes some of the best hunts and some of the best deer you shoot sometimes are come from the stands that you haven't completely prepped and you haven't done all the workload on. Sometimes some of the best hunts are those ones where you are either A, traveling between those normal stands that you hunt and something catches your eye and it draws you in. And then before you know it, you're hanging a stand or jumping in a saddle. And sometimes those some of those hunts are some of the best ones, right? They're not always those ones that you have yeah. completely prepped and have gotten ready. That's true. But to answer your you question, gotta to... I got a couple good ones and I'm, I'm feeling good, feeling good. Good. Now, I know last year, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think last year your big, big goal for the 2022 season was to kill a buck on your new farm. Didn't happen the year before. So 2022 is all about getting one of these big deer out there. Do you have a specific goal like that or something different for this season out there um, or any of your properties? Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you are, first of all, you are correct. I mean, the first year that I bought my farm, I was not able to successfully get the buck, my target buck that I was after. The buck that I would have liked, I think, died from EHD, unfortunately. We, the neighbor found him dead. Yeah. But the buck that I wanted was named Kickstand. I was able to successfully get that deer in year two over some property improvements that I made on the property. So anytime you can make improvements to a property your own and then, you know, uh, be rewarded for the you know rewarded for the efforts that you put in is always always makes you feel good for sure you know that was a woodland pond that I put in uh, kind of in a, a nice yeah. high up on top of a, a ridge that really worked out well as far as this year Looked goes like a great spot uh, it, it is a great spot and I actually went there about two days ago and set a set a camera and we were driving in there and our our, our new guy Paul that's working for us we were driving and, and he's you know, he reminds me of me when I was, you know, 22 or 23 years old. And he's super excitable, right? You know, and he's just like, oh, dude, there's mm -hmm. a buck over there. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Paul, dude, don't be yelling. Just take take yeah. it down a notch, man. We just, we want to act cool. We want to act like we're just, the, yeah. we want to act like we're that farmer that's just, just driving along, man. He's, yeah. he's almost jumping out of the ranger. I'm like, whoa, take it easy. <laughs> we want to oh, get man. in and out of here stealth mode wise. Mm -hmm. But, um. Honestly, this particular year, you know, anything can show up. We don't need to spend a bunch of time in this, but I just, I, I don't have a target buck on that property this year that I've seen that I'm excited about. I really have done, I've been working on a little mini series, you know, and we've been doing a lot of work on the property. I mean, I've just yeah. done some big, big projects that are honestly bigger than what I'm used to doing. So some of these things, 
you know, this big, you know, equip program I did, it was like 110 loads or something of rock they brought in to fix erosion. And so many of the projects that I'm doing, honestly, are not, everybody always wants to do things necessarily for deer, 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 deer. This is more about everything, habits, rabbits, you habitat, rabbits, just everything. I I just want everything, honestly, You, you know, so it's more of a whole, once I do what I'm doing with this property, all the critters will ultimately want to be on it at some point. So I think that's um, awesome. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. So, so there's not a super, I don't want to say super exciting buck, but there's not one yet that has your attention. The theme for this month of, of September here on the podcast, Todd is going to be kind of exploring the, hard to understand behind the curtain mysterious world of those biggest oldest mature bucks right those ones that fascinate us those ones that keep us up at night um that's what we're gonna try to kind of dial in on this month yeah i've watched many many of your hunts over the years todd i've seen you chase big really old bucks you know for years now um I actually just, just for old time's sake, I went back and watched the video of that 192 inch buck you killed back, I don't know, 10 plus years ago. Um, man, he was something. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, what is it about a super mature buck or, or mature bucks in general, but what is it about that kind of deer that gets you so excited and makes you so fascinated? Um, why is this something that you, you know, pursue to this degree and, and obsess over to the degree that you do. Um, you know, all deer are cool, but there's something about that really old buck. What's that for you? That's a great question. I mean, that's, that's a million dollar question, right? It's the thing that just keeps us coming <laughs> back year after year. And I think that it's funny cause that is something that I think about, right? There's other sports and there's other things that we do in our lives that kind of come and go right? Like, like they kind of like come in your life and then you're kind of like all hell bent about it. You want to go get, I don't know, I don't golf, but whatever. You go out and buy a new golf clubs. You're all excited. Or maybe it's, you know, who knows what, right? There's all these different things that just kind of come in and come out. But man, when it comes to whitetail hunting deer, I mean, man, I'm as ate up with it at 51 years of old as I was when I was set. I mean, I just love it. Right. I mean, and, and I yeah. think, truthfully what it is it's it's uh, i'm actually getting like goosebumps right now i, I <laughs> you know it, it's different every year right like like what's so fun yeah. about it is no deer is the same it's always different the racks are different the the land the spots moving around the stories how it happens it's just it's it's always new it's not the same kind of just same thing it's always something different and, and I, I i don't know it keeps me coming back every year you know what I, I mean and, and i'm just fueled about it now you did bring up that 192 inch deer and we want to stay focused to help people think about big bucks and i and i wish i could honestly look in the eyeballs mark and tell you i've killed you know i have this pedigree of killing you know the most mature monster bucks in the world i'm really good at finding them and it seems like everyone else always gets them, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I have killed I have killed some really good ones in my life for sure. And yeah, 
when you asked me a, the question, if I had a big one that I was chasing, you asked it in a way that it was in regards to my current farm, right? And I don't have one there, but I absolutely have a big one uh, that I really, really, really will be putting a significant amount of effort into this year. And okay. it's a little disheartening because it's not on my farm where... <laughs> I want to be, and I have all yeah. my stuff, and I've done all this work, and it's like I kind of want to be there mentally. But if I truly want to get a big one like that 192, I'm going to have to hunt somewhere else. And I think that's something that people have to keep in mind, of course, when it comes to killing big bucks, right? Listen, we all have trail cameras. We all have cellular cameras. We're all running these things. At some point, you just can't lie to yourself. They don't, the cameras don't lie. And we all, listen, every one of us want to sneak into a stand and we never, ever, ever want to lose the dream of that big monster, you know, drop tying, gnarly buck yeah. just coming through the woods, you know, you, you know, we never want to lose that, right? Because that's what keeps us getting up in the morning and getting mm -hmm. out there and, and going for it, right? Well, let's be honest, sometimes cellular, not cellular, but sometimes trail cameras in general could take that away a little bit because even like me at my current farm, like, ah. I'm just not seeing it. That doesn't mean that it's not living somewhere else, which is a sure. big topic that we're going to talk about in this podcast because, you, you know, and I think I listened to one of your podcasts recently, or maybe it was one of your other hosts that was, you know, talking about does and, you know, understanding the does and bucks want to be in a different place. So we'll get there. But yeah. I do have the, the point that I was trying to make, so it doesn't get lost, is specifically at some point you can't lie to yourself. If you're hunting a spot, and you truly, truly want to kill a monster buck. And you said, hey, listen, I've killed the 120s. I've killed the 130s. I want a 150-inch buck. Like, listen, at the end of the day, if the data that you have, either through scouting, your eyes, trail cameras, friends that hunt the farm with you, whatever, if the deer's not there, the deer's not there. You got to move on. You got to yeah. go somewhere else. You got to find a different spot. So to your point, I absolutely I, I do have a sweet buck that I want to shoot this year, and I'm going to be putting most of my effort into that deer, even though it's completely far away from my current spot, and I'll just have to deal with not uh, being able to be where I really want to be with because of the monies that I spent and the efforts I put in. Mm -hmm. But this deer here is living in a spot that is very, very, very similar to that 192-inch buck that you brought up. And I recently did a little video on um, overlooked hunting spots. And I think in, 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 in the point that we're trying to make is mature bucks do things differently yeah. than what everybody else is doing, period. And, and your brain has to get wired that way. Like we want to go to the food plots, why? Because it's fun. It's exciting. Yeah. You know you're going to have activity. You know you're going to see deer. Generally, you've set these spots up. And, and because of the day that we live in now, everyone's smart enough to realize, hey, if I do a food plot, I'll set up two different stands for two different wind directions. So it's easy. It's convenient. You're going to have activity. You don't go home after a weekend feeling like, that was a waste. <laughs> you, you, yeah. you, you know, like, I didn't see anything. But when you start truly trying to get the big guys, you're not going to be going to those type of spots. You're looking for those over 
look spots. And per that conversation you brought up with that 192, it was a nasty cattail, smaller trees, CRP, just low, kind of a low area where I think those areas are a little bit cooler, where it's not as hot during those summer days where they could be a little bit down and and it's just kind of a, I don't want to say it's like some big nasty cattail swamp like my Wisconsin uh, piece of property was, but it's just this low-lying area where they're just not getting pressured. And I think when it comes to these mature deer, it's about pressure. And I'm sure you've seen that too. Yeah. Yeah. At what age do you think you see the biggest change in a buck's behavior, like like when we talk about like a, a super like a very mature buck, you start hearing people talk about different behavior changes that they tend to see in them. Um, for you, where have you seen that? Like I, I might say, like in my experiences, I was thinking about this. Like I've always seen a big change from a three year old to a four year old, um, where they go from like a crazy teenager to like an adult sort of. But then yeah, the five year olds, at least what the the five-year-olds I've ever been, a hunt, been able to hunt become like ghosts. So I almost think from four to five, it's been bigger in my experience, at least. Um, where have you seen that? Or is, is it, is there, is there a totally different category of mature deer that I've never seen? Like, do they do something totally different at six or seven or eight? Cause I've never got to hunt a deer like that. Um, where do you see that big transition occurring from a behavior standpoint? Um, I'm just, you know, again, I, I can only relate this to deer that I know that I've chased, you know. So I, when I think of the bigger yeah. deer that I've chased, I think of sweetness. You probably remember that buck. That was a 220-inch buck here mm-hmm. shot in Illinois by a good friend of mine, Mike. You know, and I chased the daylights out of that deer and finally had a chance at him at late season. It was a 60-yard shot, and I, I, I don't feel comfortable taking, you know, far shots. So I, I, I didn't shoot, mm-hmm. and then we ended up getting him the following year. And when I think of sweetness, I think of that other big buck, Coke can, that Kurt shot, you know, on our team. That was a big deer that I that I passed that ended up getting a couple of years down the road and really turned out to be a monster old buck. Again, not necessarily a huge rack, but just old deer. So I, I I think I think what you said is pretty much spot on. It seems like that that and the way you and the way you posed it is pretty spot on too, right? Like they're the, they're these wild teenagers and they're full of and, and maybe they're just that way too because they're trying to find their spot and they're trying to find their place in the hierarchy because there's always somebody older than you and there's always you know a deer that is probably already holding on to those quote-unquote better spots like if you're bass fishing it seems like there's certain spots you can always go to and if that tree limb comes out it's like you can almost always get a, a fish yeah. off it but that's not necessarily where the big one is right um so I, I think you're right. I mean, it's at least from what I've seen from trail camera data and the bucks that I've chased, it seems like when they hit that four and a half, boy, they get elusive. Last year we were chasing a pretty big buck um, and on a different farm we were chasing. And, man, we, had, we were getting shots of him early season, cool deer, big deer. And just like you said, light bulb went off. That deer was it's gone. And truly, it's a special deer. This is a this is a great buck and he disappeared off the radar and gone nothing hmm. on this deer and would you believe it he's still alive we just got a picture of him um you know a few weeks ago so just crazy enough like all i mean they got those underground caves <laughs> yeah. dug out somewhere and and they they don't get 
big, they don't listen. They don't get that big being stupid. They just don't. And 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 I, and I don't know. Like, listen, I don't think they wake up in the morning and have graphs and powerpoints and and charts and <laughs> and, and are, are tracking yeah. every movement. You know that we do. I don't think their brains work that way. You know at all. I think when it comes down to it, they know where they're being bumped and where they're not being bumped. And you know, the best, I, 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 whenever I talk to my friends, I always think about the same thing. I, I, I'm telling you, like P, PTSD is a real thing, right? And if you're laying in your bed at night and you're all cozy and you're sleeping there with your wife, I promise you, if a freaking burglar comes busting through that door and you fly out of that bed, I promise you, you're not going to sleep very good in that no. bed for for a long time to come. And And, and we've all been... Mr. Sneaky tiptoeing into these spots that we know like we're a foot away from taking a step where we, we know, we know we're going to bust one at any second, right? Because you can just tell by the, the way the spot looks. And I promise you, you can, man, you can only get away with doing that a couple times and they're not coming back. So personally, I just think those big deer, as they age, if they want to live, they don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be around all that doe pressure. They find those spots where they're just not being pressured all the time. It's like looking for a used car. Everyone always wants what? Man, I found this car that was in this 75-year-old lady's garage. She's never driven it. It's unbelievable. It's never been touched, right? Like we're all looking for these hunting spots that they do exist. But what's the first thing we do when we usually find these spots? Walk all over. <laughs> Go walk. And then what do we do? The trail cameras yeah. follow, and then maybe mm-hmm. a food plot follows, and then maybe, oh gosh, you know, I can't figure this spot out. Hey, Mark, you got a, you got a couple hours this weekend. Listen, I need you uh-huh. to come over and take a look at this spot. <laughs> and 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 hey, that's fine. If you want to bring Rover, you know, bring go ahead and bring Rover too. He can take a walk along with us, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the bottom line, those best spots that we find that are untouched, whatever, call it the sanctuary, call it the back 40, call it whatever you want to call it. Those spots do exist. And if you can find them, know where they are, stay out of them and figure out how to, I mean, you talk about that 192 inch buck, man, everything about killing that 192. Cause I, that, that was in the early days of filming and I, and I, and I wasn't filming everything that I was doing, you know, some of the other encounters I had with them and, and, and so forth. But everything about shooting that deer was entry point and exit critical. I mean, it was, I had the most pinpoint way of being able to get in and get out. And, and it was putting down the most minimal amount of scent and not disturbing that key bedding area where he was where where he was hung up. That was number one. Number two, it was making sure that I just didn't go in there on the wrong wind. Because just because you're getting in and out, if all of a sudden you're sitting there, we've all been yeah. there before, we're sitting there and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, ooh. That, you know, you feel it against the back of your ears and you're like, oh boy. You know, and, and what's <laughs> the worst, man? The worst yeah. for me is I'm a filmer. So I'm sitting there going, do I want to tear down all equipment now and uh-huh. go somewhere All else stuff. and the answer should be yes right your brain your everything in your body's telling you no i should move right now but then you're like well maybe it's going to change an hour from now or maybe this but you, you probably have yeah. already blown it you know 
So um, I think to answer your question specifically, I think you're right. At four and a half, they start really just becoming a lot harder to find and their movements just become a lot more at night, a lot more, you know, nocturnal and that they're a little bit harder to pick up and locate. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. You mentioned the entry and exit for that 192, and you said that that was just bulletproof entry and exit. Can you describe how you were actually doing that that made it so so effective for a, for a way to get in and out? Um, 
it was just easy, to be honest with you. I, I, you know, I wish I could tell you that like, like this was like super strategic. The area that I was hunting, number one, was flat. Anyone that hunts enough realizes that if you can, if the topology is flat, then the wind is going to always be so much more consistent. Yeah. You start getting into any kind of hilly country and mountains and, you know, you, you got your place in Idaho and whatever. I mean, you start hunting different terrain. Anytime you start hunting topology, uh, topology, you, you, you know, you, you know, anytime you start hunting, you, you know, where it's hilly valleys, bottom areas, lowlands, and you can't keep the wind consistent, dude, it, it, it's a, it's a whole nother ball of wax. I mean, truthfully, I was kind of fortunate when I first started hunting my Wisconsin swamp, dude, it was like flat. And then my, and then, and then hunting here in Illinois, uh, more in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago, where we live, it's flat. So that particular entry point, when it's a West wind, it's a West wind. When it's even South West or whatever, like it is exactly what it is versus other stands you go to, Oh, it's going to be a west wind, and you get up there and you're throwing the wind check. And you're like, "What the?" You know, you know, and it's going yeah. completely the wrong way because of the, you know, because of the land. So that particular hunt, I was able to park the car in a spot to where nobody was around. It was super easy. I was able to keep my my nose right into the wind, and and honestly, it wasn't like over the woods, you know, through a cornfield up over there. I mean, it was just a nice, easy, straight line. Now that was by design with where I was parking and I had to get some access at that point in my life to be able to allow me to pull that off. And luckily, uh, uh, the woman was nice enough to let me actually park there and do what I was doing. Um, so that worked out like sweet as well. Um, yeah. That's no small thing to go get that extra access. Yeah. No, no. But you know, you know, years ago, it also seemed like it was a lot easier too. I mean, listen, we, anyone that's been doing any kind of door knocking nowadays, I talked to Paul, our new, our new guy that's working with us. I mean, you know, and I, and I keep referring it to like the salesmanship thing, right? Like if you knock on enough doors, eventually somebody's going to answer, right? And he's like, oh, I've been on 12 already. And mm-hmm. I've only had one that's like, a, eh. and I said, Hey dude, that's how it works. You just got to keep, you got to keep going. And eventually, you, you know, you're going to find something, but so having good, entry points when you know where a good betting area is and of course that you know you 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 you're always playing a game because it's how close do i want to get you know like sure mark i'm sure you've been in a lot of hunting situations where yeah you you could sit way back and you can watch them get up and you can see them and and then you're like okay they they need to come this way and then they go that way right like i mean so it's always kind of determining how close can i get without it being too close. And in that particular case, yep. I was able to legitimately get within about 60 yards of this little favorite little spot where he was betting. So that was key. And if there's anything to be taken from, from this podcast right now that we're having, we're not going to tell you till the end. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, True businessman. Wait till five. <laughs> you're gonna have to wait. No, <laughs> uh, is if you can find good, solid buck bedding areas of the buck that you want to kill, the buck that you want. It's all about locating those areas and getting as close to them as you can. 
that, I mean, that is key. And you know what? And don't muck those spots up. Do not put the trail cameras in those spots. When you find that big buck bed, I think a Matt Miller on our team, you know, he moved here and was hunting a lease. And, you know, he found a, a, a really decent bed of a buck up on a ridge top. And you know what? Same thing goes. I think about his hunt. I remember talking to him. This is years ago, too. I remember just talking to him. And he just, he, he knew. In your brain, it's almost like you can close your eyes and you literally can execute the plan, you know, all the way from getting out of the car, the path that you're going to take, how you're going to climb that tree, how stealthy and quiet you're going to be, and 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 the, the, how quickly, you know, the timeliness it takes you to get there. Like, you got to have all that stuff in your brain. Big buck killers, they got that wired in their brain. It's not, I'm going to stop and get this coffee, and then I'm going to do this, and then, you know, I'm going to, I might wear those boots. Man, big buck killers... And people, and forget about the big buck killers, people that shoot bucks on a year-to-year regular basis, man, they've got a plan. It's in their brains. You know, they, they know their gear. They know what's in their pack. They know what's in the left-hand top pocket. They, 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 you're dialed in. Whether you're a saddle guy, you just know yeah. what's in each pocket, how you're going to maneuver. Like, that's the way you need to train your brain. So when you can start getting into those situations where you're going to get tight on mature bucks, you know where all your stuff is. You're just dialed in. All the guys that I meet that are crazy, I shouldn't say crazy, but because I'm, I'm, I'm one of them, you're just, you're just, you're, you yeah. know, you're just, you're dialed in, Mark. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. I mean, you know, 100%. there's guys who are just walking around and they're just kind of being lazy and they wonder why they're spooking deer and not seeing stuff. And then you got your guys who are just, yeah. man, they're on their A game. And that's what you got to be. Listen, we can all we yep. can all get lucky, right? We all can fall into one once in a while, and hey, that happens. I'm not going to pass up those. But no, if you really want to get those mature bucks, you got to have a plan. You got to learn where they're living, and you got to find those overlooked spots. Which you know, we talked about how you said, hey, you know, you got to walk around. Yeah, you do have to scout. Like, I mean, you know, there's a time to scout. There's a time to do it effectively. And, and then there's the times when you shouldn't. I, one of the things that I've kind of gotten in the habit of doing is we're, we're all creatures of habit, right? So often we have a stand. You mentioned it in the beginning of this podcast. You know, you've trimmed your stuff out. You're kind of ready. You kind of have your plan. What yeah. I try to do when I go hunt one of those spots is... I try to always be scouting, right? You always got to be scouting. So sometimes what I'll do is even though it's easier for me to maybe go out the way that I came and my brain is telling me that, hey, I don't want to leave any extra scent. I don't want to do that. Sometimes you just got to go some different routes and some different paths to be able to see if things have changed. Because in the whitetails world, things are always, always changing. I'll tell you a little thing too. I got this really big one that I told you earlier in this podcast that Mm -hmm. uh, that 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 I'm chasing. I went back there uh, to this spot and man, I was like, I just, I'm not getting photos anymore. I thought he died. Honestly. I mean, we have a drought here in Illinois, EHD, I'm sure is something you've heard people talking yeah. about here in the Midwest. I mean, the drought oh, yeah. is bad. It's, it sucks. And I could, I could just smell, I could smell, you know, something dead, you know, you know, and yes. you've been in the woods enough to know when you smell that you're kind of, you know, you're like, mm. you almost have to like, yeah, it's almost nightmare. like a game. 
<laughs> right. But but it's like you got to go find it. Like there's something about us that just yeah. is like, I need to go find what this smell you gotta is. You got to know. Well, this, you got to know, right? And, and I haven't been getting pictures of him for a month. He disappeared. This big guy disappeared on me. And so, oops, so I am, uh, so I start, you know, looking around. Thank goodness it was the dead raccoon. Okay. Let's get that out of the way right <laughs> off the bat. Good. But I'm like, man, why is this deer not coming through here? So I, he was always coming through. This was like bulletproof, man. I was getting pretty regularness. Would you believe it? We had a really big storm, a monster. I mean, a big tree fell down. And this particular spot is almost like a little funnel, almost like a little pinch point. And, and sure enough, it complete, I mean, this tree is a huge cottonwood, completely blocked the access because it wasn't just so much that my big guy was missing. I wasn't getting even my, there's been one doe with one fawn coming through there. And even I was getting kind of coyotes in a row. I'm like, man, this just, this, this, this is not, something's not right. Well, sure enough, this monster cottonwood came down and it hit completely like they could not get through. And they were going around and completely avoiding this spot like entirely. So I had to go in there and get rid of that. And would you believe it? You know, uh, would you believe it? When you actually, when you texted me, uh, I, I was out in Montana or Colorado, I forgot where I was at the time. And I was finally starting to get pictures again because before I, before I uh, went on the trip, I went into that particular spot. I cleaned it out, got it trimmed out. Of course, you know, it, it took a lot of work, chainsaws, blah, blah, blah. I had to do way more disruption than I wanted it to do. But after about a week and a half, would you believe it? There comes my doe and fawn again. And here comes that regular traffic. And sure enough, bam, you know, he showed up a couple more times. There he is. It was just because that, that path of easy, uh, path of least resistance wasn't there anymore. And they just weren't cutting through there. So um, just a little tidbit of information there, right? You know, if something changes, yeah. you got to kind of, got to figure out what happened. Like if you're hunting this awesome funnel on top of a ridge somewhere and you're like, what is going on? This thing just died. Well, geez, if you had a big, huge oak tree, block it 60, 80, 100 yards up, and you can't see it, and now they're skirting the side, something can change. you got to always be scouting for sure. Yeah. There's that really tricky balancing act between maintaining, you know, current intel while also not overpressuring a location. And you mentioned a second ago how the very most important thing when it comes to these really mature bucks is, is finding where they want to live and not screwing that up. Um can you share with me a little bit about the kinds of specific places that you found over the years that these big old, like the top dog buck in an area likes to hole up? Uh, I, mean, I mean, we know the general things like, oh, they're like thick stuff or so on and so forth. But like, when you think about some of these specific old deer that you've gotten to know over the years, I'd be really curious about like, if you can even recall like what some of those specific little bedrooms looked like that that top dog picked. It's kind of interesting to think about where like the number one spots are. Because these bucks, you know, have a hierarchy, right? And so the different bedding areas kind of get claimed based on where you stand in the hierarchy sometimes. Um, so where's that top tier deer prefer to be? I, I, I definitely think it's different, you know, for all the different areas you, you, you hunt. I, I, I think of this one buck longhorn yeah. that I was chasing, and this was in more western Illinois, and there's these rock croppings right and it's funny because you think bedding you think bedding areas you're almost like you're almost your brain's like thinking oh it should be cushy right it should be like a tempurpedic mattress and it should be super nice and comfortable <laughs> and they're gonna get in there and kind of snuggle in and this one buck uh longhorn 
that 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 I was chasing him. I had a, oh, just an awesome encounter with. Never know what ever happened to that deer. He was awesome. Um, he had this spot that was on a. I know this isn't a video, but if you can almost imagine uh, a, a, a top of a ridge that comes to a point, and there is these big rock outcroppings, and there is just the biggest bed that I found in the longest time on this point by these rocks. And it's like, shit, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have lasted there more than five minutes <laughs> sitting on there. But you know, that's not how animals think, right? That's just how soft wimps like me think. But yeah. um, when you think of a big buck who wants to have a great vantage point that, you know, in this particular spot in this country, it was up high. The wind was good. They had, you know, they could keep their back, you know, where they could smell stuff coming from behind them. They could sit where they could see, you know, a whole area with multiple exits, you know, exits, you know, I mean, if they, if someone were to jump that deer, it literally could have gone three different directions and it within seconds, you'd never see it again. And that was one spot that I remember. And the more that I've hunted in those areas where you have hills with those rock croppings out on those point, man. They just really seem to like those spots um, because I just think they literally can dart downhill and you'll never see them ever again. And the, and the wind is just so good for them up there that they can just always feel safe. And, you know, at the end of the day, like they're just worried about predators, right? They're not really thinking, oh, shit, Mark Kenyon's after me. <laughs> you know, they're not, you know, yeah. they're not, they're not thinking yeah. like that. They're just thinking like, you know, where can I get the best rest, you know, for the longest amount of time without being busted all the time. So I think an area where a buck, you know, a big mature buck can sit, have, and it's funny because we think about, you know, sometimes we're always thinking about that thick, nasty stuff. You know, I don't know if that's always the case, right? Like I've seen plenty of big bucks bed in areas where there's not tons and tons of cover. They can just see good, the wind's good, and they've got enough exit points where they got cover that they know if they need to get out of, get out of the area that they can, but so I, I, you know, my, my favorite spots where I generally find those big, bigger bucks, it, you know, it seems to be those cattail sloughs, those areas that are just kind of thick and nasty that nobody wants to go to, that no one's really kind of popping into. And every time in my life that I found those cattail sloughs, you walk around those things enough. And the only reason why I even like those things is because I was fortunate enough again to have that property in Wisconsin that, that I was able to get purchased from my dad years ago. And that's all I had to hunt. And, and, and being a duck hunter, when I was younger, you walked around those cattails enough, you were looking for what when you were duck hunting? Those spots that just had the little open little water spots, right? Where you'd see those buck, uh, duck, bucks, geez Louise, bucks, ducks, all of them. You'd see those <laughs> ducks, you know, cupping up and locking in and coming on in, right? You were looking for those spots for the ducks. But on your way to getting to those spots, You'd be walking along, and all of a sudden, you'd come along the spot where it's like, holy cow, look at this. You can literally come right up, and it's all just, you know, up and high. And, man, you're like, man, look at the beds in here. Like, they could just, you know, you you would never think that you could literally go out into the middle of a cattail nasty slough and have completely dry ground where they could stand up, shake it off, you know, eat a little bit, you know, chew their cuds, turn around a little bit, lay back down again. So, um, I think the key of what we're talking about here is you're looking 
you're not always looking, like you said, for those spots where the most thickest, nastiest cover is. Those are good, and those can be really successful, but also be looking for those spots where the deer just, they've got the winning advantage. Like, you know, they've got those spots, and sometimes those spots you just got to beat the deer back to them. You know, you, you know you're there, you just got to be in super early. You got to get there way before they're going to get there and hope that you're not going to get detected while you're sitting there. Yeah. I've, I've seen, I've had some situations where I've seen this and I've certainly heard of other people mentioning this, but it always, it, it still catches me by surprise sometimes. Um, have you ever seen a buck that beds in a place that you would think actually would put him around people and human access more than you might expect, but he's actually there because he, he's monitoring access. So he's able, he's out on like a point leading out into a grassy field or something that kind of goes by the access road. So every time you go in there, he knows it, that kind of thing. I've heard stories about that kind of thing. I've had a couple situations where I thought that might be what's going on. Like, man, how come I can never get in here without this deer knowing I'm here because he shows up in daylight on trail camera. But whenever I'm in here, even though I think my wind's right, even though I think I'm doing everything right, he, he never shows up. And then all of a sudden I find this little buck bed like right along where I was coming along in a spot that doesn't make any sense in most in, in most ways of thinking about it. Have you ever seen that kind of thing? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, then, you know, I, I guess I never really, I, I've heard people talk about this, like maybe they're just watching us coming in and coming out all the time, you know, so maybe... You know, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I really, truly don't think they're that strategic. I, I just don't. You know, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can find 16 guys or you'll get a million comments now that just says I'm an idiot, right? Like the keyboard guys will come and start smashing <laughs> on this. You know, I, I really just don't. No matter think, what you say. <laughs> I do, it doesn't matter what I say, right? Uh, I, I just, I really don't think a mature buck wakes up in the morning and is like, you know what? I'm going to slip down and I'm going to park myself near that particular spot to see if anyone's going to come in and hunt this public today. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't think they think that way. I think the spots that they choose are chosen because they have those vantage points. They feel safe. They've got the wind at their advantage. They, they feel like if they do get busted, they can get out of Dodge, you know, quickly. I, I just, I really don't, Think, I, I think for their brains, it's where can I go and where can I sit the longest before I ever get bumped by anything. I, if you're out west, maybe it's cougars, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, you know, a pack of coyotes, whatever. It's where can I go and be for the longest period of time when no one's bugging me. I mean, in my opinion, I think that's what is truly going on in a big buck's brain. Where can I be for the longest period of time, get the most amount of sleep, relax without being bumped constantly? That, In my opinion, I just think that's the spots that they're looking for. I mean, come on, every podcast you always listen to when people talk about public land, public land, public land, right? And they want to go so much of everything you've thought about as a kid when you were younger was like, how much further can I go over the next guy? Right, like how much further back right. can I go? Because I want to get away from that traffic. And generally speaking, you're rewarded for doing that because the the animals just aren't being bothered. Some of the best, easiest hunts are going into spots where there is the least amount of pressure. 
period. So I, I think yeah. find those unpressured areas and you're going to put yourself most likely in, a, in an opportunity to find where a big mature deer is hung up and is living and will also put you in a position to have a chance to, to harvest them. If you can get in and get out, there are those yeah. spots, Mark, and you and I both know it, where you're going to find big, mature buck sign down in the bottoms, right? I mean, we've all been there. Anybody who has spent any time hunting, when you start hunting hilly country, you get down in those bottoms and you're like, man, look at this. We found a horizontal rub. And I mean, and look at the sign down here. and It's just tore up and here's a bed. But whew, trying to get down in those spots and actually hunting them, yeah. it's not, not, not good. It's not going to happen. Maybe in the rut, maybe get lucky. Maybe the wind's just right perfect, but not often. Yeah. So, so, so speaking of these kinds of spots that these big old bucks gravitate towards, and as you mentioned, I think it makes a lot of sense to, to remember to keep it simple sometimes and just think like, where can they go and feel safe and comfortable? Um, you know, one thing that I seem to hear consistently, and I think I've seen this to a degree, um, is that once those, as those bucks get older and older, many of them tend to become more and more of a homebody. They tend to have a shrinking core area, maybe. Um, at least that's something that I've seen a little bit and heard of a, quite a bit, especially from folks that I just think you're right. have a lot more mature bucks around. Have you seen that? Is that true? Um, and because of that, in your experience, have you found with those like five-year-old plus bucks, are they easier to pattern because of that or because of the behavior traits that become harder? <laughs> if it gets easier, I'd have a lot more five-and-a-half-year-old bucks on my wall, that's for sure. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it, de- <laughs> so it definitely yeah. – it, it can't get easier because I'd have I'd have a lot more bigger bucks on my wall. I can tell you that for sure. Um but I, but I think of, listen, I definitely agree with you for sure. I believe their ranges definitely get smaller. I think there's something about being the top dog that allows them the luxury of being able to, and we've seen this, we've all seen this bow hunting before or whatever type of hunting you do. We've all seen, let, let's say you are hunting a food plot, right? And it's almost like the tone, I, I, and let me, let me switch this up because my brain sometimes got ADD and I'm jumping around. It's almost like you're in the conference room, right? Four or five guys, you're all sitting around there talking and man, now the boss steps into the, now all of a sudden, you know, bam, the boss comes walking in the conference room. Darn, does the tone of the room just change? Am I right or am I wrong, right? It's different. Go hunt, go hunt, go hunt, go hunt a food plot. You're sitting there, right? Let's say it's late season, right? It's cold. You're in, you're in, you're in your box blind, whatever, right? Does are out. The young bucks are out, dude. It's almost like the tone changes when that mature buck comes out with the other bucks in the field, you know, or even you know that first cold front that comes in in October. We're all waiting for that first cold front, right? Because they can be super duper successful, and. If there's something about it when you get those young deer bucks out there and you're sitting there hunting and all of a sudden you almost can, you almost can, if you're watching the, 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 the tone of the deer and you're reading the deer, you can almost see 
their behavior starting to change. Maybe they're starting to kind of getting away from a spot. Their ears are getting pinned back. Maybe they're getting a little edgy, and all of a sudden those bigger bucks come out. Like the big guys definitely carry some weight to them, which I think the older they get allows them the ability to not have to travel as far because you know what? They kind of know who their girls are. They kind of know who they're going to breed. Man, when they're out checking those scrapes at night and they're, they know they are, I, I completely believe, listen, I'm not a biologist, but I completely believe 100% that they know what doe is going to come in first. They do know who she is. They do generally know where she is living and they generally are able to, because of the old guys and the, you know, that they generally get to be able to hold that dominance in an area. And I think they can get away with traveling less. They don't have to be running. It's almost like the big buck, the, the, the cow standing on top of the hill, looking down at all the cows and the young buck wants to run down there. or The young cow wants to run down there and, and, and say, yeah. you know, let's get one. And the, and the old bull says, no, let's just walk down and get them all right. Like at the end of the day, those yeah. big guys, they've got their spot. They know specifically which ones are going to come in. I, I, I do think they travel less. And I'll tell you a really cool story. This is this is a cool story. If anyone ever watched the sweetness story that we put on bowhunting.com years ago, I mean, I chased that deer. We mentioned it earlier in this. That was a eight-and-a-half-year-old deer, 220-inch buck. Um, the deer was shot and wounded when he was four-and-a-half years old by my friend. He's going to kill me right now for doing this, but um, he shot him. It was a high <laughs> shot. It happens, guys. If we're bow hunters, come on, man. Anybody who bow hunts, you know, things happen. Yeah. There's a difference. We always say the same thing. There's a difference between doing the right thing ethically and having stuff go wrong versus doing the wrong thing, and 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 then you got to live with that. Do the right thing, and you never have to. You can always sleep, you know, good at night. But, you know, it was a high shot. Sweetness was fine. The deer lived on. I can't tell you the strategies that we put in place to try to kill that deer, right? And and it kind of had its pattern. It just seemed to like leave our property, hit another property. Some other guys had the deer named a different name than what we had it named, you know. And I'm sure three other properties, they all everyone had their mm-hmm. own name for this deer, right? And yeah. and would you believe it? Four years later, my friend who originally shot sweetness ends up harvesting sweetness in the same stand <laughs> four years later. Jeez. So I, I mean, wild. isn't it cool? I mean, it is wild, right? Like all this work, all this effort, all these different locations. And to think four years later, he'd be harvested. This unbelievable 220 inch deer would be harvested from the same stand that it was wounded in, right? Like, like, so maybe if you spook a big buck out of its bed, after four years, it will forget about it. We'll come back to that bed, right? Like, yeah. who knows what the ultimate... <laughs> Takes a little Who knows time. what the... <laughs> right. It may take a little bit of time until you sleep back in that bed again. But um, the point being, um, you know, per this, you know, call of what we're talking about right now, mature bucks... 100% have those good key spots that they love. And you got to pay attention. You got to look for them. You, you, you know, it's not just aimlessly walking through the woods. You got to look at your maps. You got to look at for the sign. You know, no, you're not going to get down and smell the bed or do stupid stuff. Like you're going to look at the bed. You're going to look at the size of the bed. And then, and then maybe you're going to come back and check it 
you know, a year later. Some of the best times, honestly, to find these big beds, you know, and where we think these big guys are 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 living, is 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 really that early season. When I say early season, I really like kind of that March April time frame when you can really get out there and really look around and really see what you have there. Um, but to answer your question, yes, I do believe as deer get older, they gravitate to their favorite spots. They don't travel as far for a couple of different reasons. One, I think they've learned over the years where the good food is, where the good water sources are, where the girls are that they're going to need at the time when, when the rut comes along. And I think they just through time learn where those best spots are. And I, and I really do believe they don't travel as far. Now, again, guys, you can analyze this all day long. And if you live in an area where food sources are low and they have to travel farther or you're in a big drought, I mean, there's a 10,000 variables that we could go through right now. But generally speaking, I think as deer age, I really do believe that 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 area that they're, they're monitoring just gets smaller. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. 
because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. So let's, let's uh, I want to kind of get your take on a few other different I don't know if these are personality, maybe tendencies maybe that you've seen with these older bucks as far as behavior. And, and I know a lot of this, one of the things you hear a lot about when people start you know, getting to know a mature buck is they'll say, well, there's this personality trail. This buck has got a unique personality. So I think there's going to be a lot of unique things depending on the deer. Um, but I am curious whether or not you've seen any consistencies of, of any kind. Let's say, well, let's start first with like with how a really mature buck uses the wind. Um, have you found any consistency with those oldest bucks you've hunted? Man, they, they always like to bed with the wind in a certain way, like at their back, or is that not the case? Have you always seen that, man, they like, you hear some people talk that, man, mature bucks really want to move with the wind in their face or quartering or crossed. And then you hear other people say, nah, they, they'll rock with the tailwind. Um, you know, anything on the wind side, have you seen anything that stands out as a a nugget of a tendency that's worth keeping in the back of your mind when it comes to these five-year-olds, these six-year-olds, whatever? I think one of the hardest things that I've had to learn, because anyone that knows me, dude, I'm hyper, right? Like, I'm a hyper guy. I mean, I just, I can't help it. I'm just a shaker. I'm a mover. I just, you know, I talk with my hands. I mean, I just, I'm a mover. And I think one thing, and I'm excluding I'm excluding the rut right now when I get ready to say this, guys, okay? But one thing's for certain. When you see big, legitimate bucks, man, and I'm talking good, mature bucks, they are slow movers. They take their time. They're, they're methodical. You just you can just see that ever so slight little you know, little lift of that, little lift of that head, man. Just taking in that little extra, yeah. you know, scent coming across their nose, man. You really see big bucks. They, you know, they're not just, oh, there's the playground. Let's go. You know, like that. They just take yeah. their time. Now, again, I'm excluding the rut on a hot trail with a hot dough. Obviously, that's completely different. But even sure. when a big buck finally is going to tend to a doe and, He's decided that she's going to come into heat. That's the doe. That's the one I'm breeding. They, through vocalization, you know, are able to, like, get that doe to kind of stay put. I mean, every once in a while they take off. But generally speaking, man, when they just want things to be calm, they have a way of doing that, right? And I I have seen so many big bucks. They just take their time. My point with me being kind of a hyper shaky guy and trying to use this as a tactic to be smart, you know, for me, the tree stand is my yoga session. <laughs> you know, the tree stand is the one time when I can tie, you know, you can kind of like just get in there, 
snuggle in, be smart, and 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 try not to move, right? Like because I'm telling you, those big bucks, they're not just using their nose; they're using their eyes too. And and and, and when they start walking and they decide that they're going to move from point A to point B and they're going to actually go do something, they're using everything they got, right? Their nose, their ears, their eyes. They're using it all. They're looking out for predators. And I'm telling you, part of their strategic uh, way of living longer and getting bigger too is they just move methodically and they move a little slower. And man, you just see them. You just see them stop, right? Like you can see them. Like they just, they get out of their bed. Sometimes they just stand there for like forever. And, you know, and then they just, they're so methodical about, okay, which way am I going to kind of pull out of here today? And then they, come down the yeah. tray a little bit and they'll just stop and they'll just they'll literally stand there for minutes some of the biggest bucks i've seen they'll just they'll just stand there and they'll just kind of just yeah it's so true s- smell and they'll just so the problem is you might have you might be hunting a killer ridgeline right you might be hunting something really good and if you're standing up and you know talking to your buddies or you know if they're filming you or you're just you know moving a little too much in those stands sometimes those deer are just seeing you and you're never see you're never even seeing them Right. They've already, they've already, whoa, what was that? And, and they just tiptoed yeah. away. How many times have you spooked a big buck, right? You're in the stand, you see him coming, and do they, Mark, do they usually go bolting out of there and running away, the big guys? Sneaking on out. Turn tail quickly, and they're just scooting out. They just, they just, they, you know, they don't, they don't need to make mm-hmm. it. Listen, spooking a buck out of a bed is one thing. Okay? Usually aren't blowing, they're, yeah. Totally right. Sure. This isn't this isn't the big nanny doe going like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna yep. blow here for the next 15 minutes. I mean, they just usually like, mm, man, if they get the scent of something yeah. wrong, they just, man. Sometimes I think they could just walk in reverse. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like how the, where yeah. do you just go? You know, it's a, it's like that Bart Simpson's uh-huh. one of my favorite uh, little icons where he's like just kind of yes. he like kind of just sneaks. That's back. exactly it. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> we, I know exactly what actually, you're talking about. You know what, I, I, Mark? You don't beat me to this. I'm going to take that meme and I'm going to have a buck just disappearing back in the woods. <laughs> Hunting season's coming. That would be great. <laughs> don't you take that uh-huh. one. I'm going to go. I'm going to go make that one. Um, it's but, all yours. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's exactly what yeah. I just think. You know, they're methodical. They're slow, and again, they're not being methodical because they're like, oh man. Todd's out here today. I saw his truck pull in or, you know, or the neighbor. They're just, this is what they do, right? Like they, they don't want to get eaten for lunch. They don't want coyotes chasing them. They don't want, you know, they just, they're just methodical. They're just, they take those bigger guys. They're just, they take their time. They've been in the woods a lot longer than the other deer. They just know what they need to do to survive and, and to not be chased as much and, to, and, and, and not be killed. Right. So man, you watch them. They're slow. So don't be moving around a lot in your stands. Yeah. So 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 what's the hunting takeaway from that? So you mentioned one thing. Don't be making a you know, don't do anything crazy up in the tree and let them see, see you. Yep. Um but if they're given that they're so slow and methodical, is one of the hunting takeaways like, man, because of that, like that's another really strong reason for why you should try to be as close to their bedding area as possible, because they're just not gonna travel seven hundred yards or whatever to go down the ridge all the way. You got to be close to their bedroom. Is that it, or, or what is it in your mind? Yeah, I think that, that, that that's always a good question, Mark. Um, you want to tip as many things in your favor as possible. We know for a fact 
big mature bucks generally are just not, okay, I'm excluding the rut, but generally speaking, are just not out running around all day long, okay? I mean, I live in areas where big bucks live. I haven't seen, matter of fact, I haven't seen a monster buck this year yet. I'm excluding the hunting season, obviously, in January, but I have not seen a big buck, legitimate shooter buck, on their feet during day. I think of Kurt, you know, Kurt, you know, a guy on our team, you know, Kurt, um, uh, you know, he's killed a lot of deer. You know, he does a lot of management on farms and stuff like that. And I mean, even he's out in the, you know, daily, you, you know, and he doesn't even see that many big bucks during the day uh, and, and moving around. So you want to get as close as you can, number one, without blowing out the areas. Number two, you always have to be, you know, playing the wind that we've talked about. But at the end of the day, you know, they just don't move a lot. So you want to make sure you're putting yourself in the best position for when they do make those moves before they come out to those bigger fields and at night and eat and so forth that you have the best chance at getting them. You're not going to have that happen um, if you're just going to go to some big bean plot on an evening hunt, right? Like, again, there's always luck, but when it comes to those big mature guys, you, 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 you better, you'd better be close to where they're betting and you have to be able to get in there without, you know, busting them out and having them know that you're there. Yeah. Speaking of the fact that those big old guys don't get up and move very far, very often, um, that brings to mind another thing that hunters love to debate and question, which is trying to predict the conditions that might get a big old buck like that on his feet a little bit earlier or moving just a little bit further. So there's all sorts of, you know, popular apps these days that predict deer movement. And there's all sorts of theories about the moon and the wind and the barometer and the temperature and humidity and yada, yada, yada. Um, is there anything from all those different factors that you think does have the greatest influence on a mature, mature buck? Like, is it, man, the barometer really does pressure really does get a big old buck on his feet or is there anything like that in your mind that stands out that is unique to getting those special deer out and moving a little bit more uh, yes uh, yes i do uh i know there's the moon guys that really 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 follow the moon um years ago i used to you know follow the moon and kind of kind of stop following the moon as much um but there is no doubt when it comes to barometric pressure, pressure is a biggie. I mean, I don't care. You watch pressure enough. And, and, and you know, it's funny because so many people stop watching the pressure as soon as the hunting season's over, right? But pay attention to the pressure even when the hunting season's not going on. You know, those days where you're just like, dang, I, I really have seen a lot of deer today. Take the time to, you know, remember to go look at it. Yeah. So many people put, forget about looking at that once the hunting season's over, right? Um so pressure is a big one for sure. I mean, there is no doubt after running, you know, our web series bow hunter die for as many years as we have, I can almost guarantee if me and Justin are talking about when we think the first couple of deer kills are going to come in, generally that first high pressure system that comes in in the beginning, you know, when you can hunt deer, obviously, you, you know, when your season starts, that first one 
if you can get catch that first high pressure system, that's almost always a, always always a good one. But I do watch the pressure quite a bit. I do have some of my best hunting during high pressure. But Mark, that doesn't mean that, that I'm not going to go hunt. You know, a day where maybe sure. the pressure is not as good. I mean, everyone's lives are different. Everyone's work schedules are different. Everyone has different times that they can hunt and how much they can hunt. But for the average guy who has some control over their schedule, that can save some vacation, that can bank some vacation days, I think if you can be lucky enough to time a high pressure hunt with when you're going versus just aimlessly going into spots when you shouldn't be going into some of your better spots, um, is going to make a difference. And generally speaking, on those high pressure situations, it does seem like those bigger mature bucks do get out of their beds a little bit earlier. And people can say, well, geez, I hunted high pressure, but I just didn't see the mature deer. Well, at the end of the day, let's be realistic. How many big mature deer are in your area, number one, right? And he just doesn't have yeah. one spot that he goes to. So just because I'm having bad luck this day, I could be literally texting you who could be completely on the other side of the farm. You're like, dude, you were right. <laughs> Today was the day, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, you know, there's, let, let's be honest. There's only so many of these four and a half, five and a half, six year old deer. And they just don't do the same thing every single day. I hit Starbucks. I go to Walmart. I go to the office. Like, okay, that, that's great. <laughs> like, you know, but that's just not how it works. You know, they just, they have other spots. Their appetite might be desiring something different. They just might go to a different area. So just because you're like, oh, I'm hunting this high pressure day and I'm not seeing any activity doesn't, you may have just chose the dang wrong spot too, you know, and that can completely happen, right? Like sometimes you just got to have all those, all those things line up and there's just not enough really legitimately big bucks for everything that line up perfectly for all of us all the time. So I do like the pressure. My, my, my absolute, oh man, I, we, we, we all only get so many opportunities at shooting a quality deer each year, right? Like, I mean, you can pretty much guarantee like every season, you know, what, what is it? Maybe three, you know, maybe four. I mean, like it's not many. And, you know, you're just hoping. And that's for those of us that have a lot of time to do it. 100%. You're 100% for, you know, it can be very different for everybody else. But let's just say you get three legitimate chances, right? And, you know, yeah. so you got to be, you know, you got to make sure you're on your A game and you're prepared. Because you, when you start messing those up, like you can't get time back, right? And the season, it, you know, it starts off and it just kind of gets going and, the next, the point that I'm trying to make here is if it's if, if it's not barometer uh, or barometric pressure, right? The, the next thing that I really, 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 man, I love those 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 pre-rut. Those pre-rut days are just. I would take the pre-rut over the rut any day of any day of the. You know, I would much rather, even though you can't see as far because there's more foliage, you know, um, corn still up, blah, blah, blah. That pre-rut, you can pretty much count on. They just, they know it, man. They just got it in their body. They know, they, they know what's coming. It's built into their, everything that a deer does. Like they have to breed. It's just, it's the way it works. And that pre-rut, they start getting up. They get up a little bit earlier. 
they start checking those scrapes, they start checking those line, and and man, I love I love that pre rut time. That that tw- for here in Illinois, sometimes that twenty second, I've killed some of my best deer between the twenty second and the twenty eighth of of October hmm. compared to November first through the seventh. Um, hands down, if I went back, I wish I would have done a better job, you know, keeping track of the stuff. You know, as as I as I was younger, but there is no doubt I would take the twenty second to the thirty first over the first through the the seventh any day of the week or eighth any any time. I just it, it plus they're calmer too. Yeah, I was gonna ask, you know, when you think if you could pick any you know week during the hunting season to kill a buck like this, if there's like a six year old you're after or something, and you had to pick one week, would it be that last week of October? Sounds like maybe that's the case. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I I really try my hardest every year not to screw that last week up. I, I mean, like you know, being sick. I may still be the guy wearing masks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know. I, I do. <laughs> Don't want to miss those days. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I I love that. You know that that last ten days of October. I love that last ten days of October. I just I just I really. Really, really, those are my. I will take those days anytime over the rut. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the rut's fun, and you can see chasing, and you can see him further away, and you, you, you know, and you can. And I've still killed there during those times, and it's not like oh, October thirty first, Halloween's here. I'm, I'm done. I'm hanging up the boat. No, of course not. No, sure. no, no. I mean, there's been plenty of years where I haven't even had a tag notched by then, you know. But, but there's no doubt. When it comes to filming mature bucks, getting close in on them, man, that is the time to do it. I just, I just, I love that window. That's a great window of time. I mean, yeah. especially if you haven't been fortunate enough to locate that big buck, right? Like, let's just forget about everything that we've been talking about, you know, in terms of, okay, Todd, you know what? I hunt a small piece of property or, Mark, I don't have an opportunity to hunt a lot of land. I mean, let's face it, just because you even got 200 acres doesn't mean doesn't mean that the big guy is living on you, right? So you still got to then figure out, okay, sure. you know, if when that time comes and he's going to, and I want to kill that mature buck, where's the highest likelihood spot that he's going to be on my place? Whether that's 10 acres, 5 acres, 40 acres, or 1,000 acres, right? You're always trying to find those spots where those mature bucks generally like to travel. You know, so you got to keep that in mind too. But I, 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 I do love that end of that, that end of October, Mark, for sure. Yeah. When yeah, you come in, it's Illinois, also Mark, let's, what let's I like about that period. Let's change this up. When you can come I'd home with like us? I'd like to come. Let's go. I need to get what there to Illinois for? soon. I know. Well, I, the invitation's the invite, here, man. Let's go. <laughs> I just gave it to you, so let's go. Let's well. do it. Careful what you ask for, Todd. I might be knocking at your door this fall. <laughs> I, let, let's go, man. I, I I told Justin I'm all about doing new and different things. You know, my my boys in college now and trying to mix things up and do different things. And uh, and it's fun. It's always fun to meet new people, hear different strategies, do different things, listen to podcasts like this. Like that's what makes it fun, right? Like hey, there's gonna be plenty of people I who agree. are gonna take little nuggets of this podcast and they're gonna hopefully gonna be able to implement it to their style and what they're doing and and hopefully it helps them bag their first big buck right like that's that's what it's all about it's all about experience so. and that's like everything in life you know if you get a couple good nuggets from 
everything you do in life, I mean, that's, and you, and you keep, and you hold those, they usually end up uh, panning, you know, pay, paying out for sure. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue, Todd, to the final question I wanted to run by you, which was, if there's any particular big old buck from your past that gave you one of those nuggets, one of those lessons learned that stands out more than any other. If, if you were to think back over all of the years, over all those biggest, oldest ghosts that haunted you, maybe you got them, maybe you didn't get them. Does one of them stand out as having taught you the most important lesson or taught you the most that has impacted your hunting still to this day? What would that lesson, what would that buck be and what would that lesson be? I'm gonna, that's a great question. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very, very good question. And, and I already have the answer. It's stay put. If you've done your homework, I, I think of Longhorn. Dude, oh, that buck, he, he pisses me off to this day. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, God, I'll, I'll just, it was, <laughs> oh, that buck just, just drives cellular, my stealth cams, you know, cellular trail cameras. I had one on, remember I was describing that knob with that rock cropping. There literally yeah, was a spot yeah. over here. And then there literally on the other side of the valley was another spot where he came out. I'm, I'm telling you, like, I know this is a podcast and, and, and I know you're watching me and I'm literally like messing with my hat and like squeezing my head right now. Like <laughs> that stupid buck. I mean, that, oh, that was such a cool buck. I'm going to get you a photo of him. Um, yeah. Longhorn was this amazing buck and son of a gun. Dude, I, I'm telling you, I had pictures of him like crazy and videos of him like crazy. And I finally, finally had an opportunity at him. And I mean, stay put. Your question specifically was what? did you learn from the biggest bucks? Longhorn kept coming out on these two spots. And, 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 and I was an idiot and I would try to like squeak in and move a stand. And if I would have just stayed put in those two spots, dude, I would go to the one hmm. spot and I'd be sitting there, shoot, and he'd be at the other spot. You know, and then and then I'd go to that spot, and then he'd be, and it was a joke, man. I mean, a couple of my buddies, you know, literally who also um, super good good friends of mine, really good people, were, were, you know, are, are are not able to hunt as much as I am, and so they're always watching the cameras, right? And literally, they would be like, "You screwed up. He's over there." <laughs> you know, I'm like, "Oh my, I, dude, I had to like, I had to turn the phone off. I couldn't even watch that crap anymore because I'd be sitting there." And it's like, oh, well, there it is. There he is. Yeah, you know, and he would, mm -hmm. and he, and he, and he, and never, never would he go from this spot during the, during the hunt and come all the way over to this spot. Like, it was just too far. It was too, it was, it was, I mean, as far as a crow flies, it wasn't that big of a deal. But in terms of like the terrain going all the way down, crossing the ag field, coming yeah. all the way up to the other spot, it just wasn't going to happen. And, and I, I honestly, I should have just, stop going from A to B to A to B and then trying to stick in the C and the D, I should have just been like, no, you know what? I'm, I'm hunting B. I'm just staying at B. I know he's going to come here. 
I know this is one of the scrapes that he frequently checks. I'm just going to stay here. And if I would have done that, I probably would have had a second chance. I did finally end up getting a chance at Longhorn, and I literally had him at, uh, I don't know, five yards. Um, and I just did not have an ethical shot. And there's just no way in heck I was going to take that take that chance. So, um, you know, I, I, I didn't. So, um, Man. So, and then, yeah, and then the last great, final thing, let's just great story. talk about – and let's just talk about sweetness for two seconds, right? Four years later, what did we talk about earlier in this show? He ends up being shot, right? Right out of the same darn spot. Sorry, Mark. I'm trying to plug my laptop in here. Um, same spot four years later. So, dude, good spots are good spots, right? And we keep trying to add more spots. But, man, when you get a good one, Sometimes, what I've learned from big bucks, dude, hold the line. And it's so easy to get carried. It's so easy to do to want to do what? Go to a new spot. I mean, Mark, mm-hmm. we hang all these stands. How many stands you got hung right now? Well, not as many because I mostly saddle hunt now. But there's a lot of prep trees oh, ready yeah. for saddles in a lot trees. of different locations. Okay. Yeah. Hey, listen. I haven't killed a deer with a saddle yet. I'm all in this year. I really do want to shoot a deer with a saddle for sure. Uh, it's fun. It's new. It's different. It's exciting, right? It, it just, it, it, yeah. it just, it's something different. And, um, but <laughs> not that I'm dissing saddle hunting or tree stand hunting, right? Like the saddle almost is like, adds a whole nother mind, like, uh, whole nother mind-boggling dimension to it now because now i'm walking around going like okay i got a tree stand hung there i could saddle hunt there and i can saddle hunt there now it's like my inventory of spots (laughs) has gone up you know but i can go too far sometimes (laughs) it, it, it can go too far sometimes the point is that we're trying to make with this last and final question you find a big buck and you know that he has been frequently coming to an area clearly that can change like listen right now apples are falling and you know you can go stick a trail camera underneath an apple tree and right now apples are kind of hot and it's a fun way to get some inventory of some deer yes that's going to probably change but generally speaking this whole podcast has been about mature deer where they like to live. And when you find and when you believe you have one of those spots and you get your stand or you get your saddle positioned, hold the line and hang in there. That that would be my personal, you know, recommendation. Period. Yeah. Sweetness. I had strong, strong advice, Ted. I had 10 probably stands for sweetness. I probably should have just kept going back to the ladder stand that my friend shot him four years ago and I would have had a chance at him. <laughs> you know? And and Longhorn, I should have just kept sticking with the spot. But human nature is, you know, you want to shake and move. You want to do different things. You start letting your brain get in the way in terms of like, oh gosh, does the deer think that he's on to me here? So again, the best lesson I could say when it comes to that last question you asked specifically what have we learned from hunting big mature bucks 
when you find a good spot that they like to frequent, make that saddle or tree stand bulletproof from how you get in, how you get out. Mm -hmm. Make sure you understand the wind on multiple different conditions there. When it's not right, don't hunt it. Leave it alone. Pay attention to the bear, the, the, the pressure. And, and I can pretty much guarantee that you will be tipping the odds in your favor of shooting that big buck this fall. Man, it's a perfect bow to put on top of the whole conversation, Todd. That's perfect. Um, thank you for that. So uh, let's, let's end it with this. Can you give folks a quick rundown of where they can connect with you guys, where they can see all the bowhunting.com content? Uh, is there anything in particular they should be keeping an eye out this year uh, for? Anything like that, please let us know. Yeah, Mark, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Um, for those of you that follow us, I mean, you know, I, I, websites and have been in my blood forever. I mean, I started literally like in 1996. I'm going to end this with a really fun story, about it, and I'll save that for the end. But bowhunting.com is a, uh, um, a great resource for a lot of great information. Justin and Paul and our team and Brody, we got a lot of writers. we got a lot of good content on there. Mark, I actually am going to pose a question to you right now that puts you in a position where you just can't say no. That's why I'm saving this too as well. <laughs> We do a really cool thing with age the age this buck, and I would love it if you guys, um, if I sent you about twelve different bucks that we're going to be yeah. aging. If you could give us your opinion on the age of these bucks, and of course, you know it will be from Mark Kenyon what he thinks the age of those deer are. We we would yeah, love to have you be a part of that. So if you want to have fun, guys, go to bowhunting.com. We've got some sweepstakes. We've got a lot of good content. And we can answer a lot of your questions with our bow hunt one or one section. As far as YouTube goes, guys, you can pull up our channel, um, which is you know bowhunting.com. We've got a series that has been called Bowhunt or Die. If you've never heard of it, check it out. For those of the people that haven't been following along with Bowhunt or Die, it's really cool because a lot of our teammates are just like probably a lot of the audience, right? They're not doing this full time like we're doing. They are guys who have full-time jobs. They're working, they're ate up with this stuff. They're passionate and they're trying to do the most with their time and getting out there. And they have found a little knack for filming their hunts and they've been on board for years. So definitely take a peek at our YouTube series, Bowhunt or Die. Um, Justin, my right-hand man, uh, has also started a podcast along with the stuff that we do uh, called Pinch Point. So we've got a lot of different content a lot of different things um, that we're doing to help, you know, the average bow hunter get out there and get started and have a great time in the woods. Of course, social channels and all that stuff. But last but not least, you know, one of the questions I always get asked a lot is how the heck did you get that domain name bowhunting.com? And it was probably <laughs> one of my most favorite purchases ever. Um <laughs> I, 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 I literally, I, I think I still own at this date over 2000 hunting related domain names, but, um, you name it, I own it foodplots.com or deerticks.com. Yeah. I own a lot of them, <laughs> but th this one specifically, um, I, I really wanted bowhunting.com, right? It's my favorite thing to do. And I was looking up the domain name. This is literally probably 1996 or seven. And a lady in Canada owned it. And I called her up and I said, Hey, 
what do I need to do to buy this domain name from it? She's like, geez, Louise, I get so many phone calls of people who want to buy this name and it must be really popular. I'm like, well, I, I, I'll tell you what, I, I'll give you $2,000 for it. And, and back then, like seriously, guys, I was probably living on my credit cards. Like it's probably not the smartest thing, but man, I was buying every domain name I could think of. I, I knew the internet was going to go somewhere one day. And she's like, $2,000, you got to be kidding me. She said, I'll be more than happy to sell that name to you. And I said, great. You know, so I got a certified check, man. I sent it to her. And finally, once the transaction was done, I said to her, I said, man, if you don't mind me asking, you know, how and why did you buy that domain name? She goes, oh, me and my daughters love collecting bows for our hair. You know, so we're out, you know, bow hunting for (laughs) bows for our hair. And I was like... I mean, oh, I was wow. like, you got to be kidding me. But that is how That's I ended amazing. up getting the domain name, bowhunting.com. But Mark, it, it's, been a, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate, you know, Meat Eater and all the great stuff that you guys do. You guys do a, a fantastic job as well. And I appreciate the fact that you're, you know, willing to have, a, have me on today and, and talk about this big buck strategy. I will say it's a lot easier to kill those three and a half year olds at the end of this, but <laughs> yeah, and I might yeah, not pass up true. one of those if it comes by, but um, no, I do appreciate no it for that. sure. You, <laughs> I do appreciate it and you do a great job. And with all kidding aside, Mark, love to have you down. We got some great spots. And uh, if you want to come down have a great time, you know, film some videos, whatever, love to have you down. The, the door's open. So just, you got my cell number, give me a shout, tell me when you're coming and let's get it done. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you for for that invite and for for being here to do this and for sharing all of your insight. This is uh, as I knew it would be. It's been great. It's been fun, and uh, we'll have to make a point to do this again soon. Sounds real good. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, and that is a wrap. Thank you for joining me. Appreciate you tuning in. Um, gotta just leave you with one last ask. Uh, Make sure you're following Wired to Hunt over on Instagram. If you want the latest and greatest updates from my hunts, from my fall, from the content we're putting out there, that's where I'm posting a lot of my stories and little snippets from different experiences and different content pieces I'm working on. As I mentioned, I think the week prior, my season's kicking off here in about a week. So I will have some deer hunting stories very soon. And I hope you'll follow along there over on the Wired to Hunt Instagram account. We've also got a newsletter. If you go to TheMeatEater.com, it will prompt you to sign up for the Wired to Hunt weekly newsletter. Make sure you're signed up there to get our latest content delivered right to your inbox as well. So with all that out of the way, appreciate you listening today. Thanks for being a part of this community. Best of luck out there. If you guys are hunting already, I know a lot of you are. I hope that some of the things you've learned this year from the podcast are coming in handy. And I hope you'll stay Wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today 
at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. 